What's up, Midas Mighty? Welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Micellis here, joined by Brett and Jordy Micellis. Great show for you today. We have Chief Cecil Rambo, currently the Chief of Police at LAX. He's been a lifelong public servant, and he is running against a sheriff in L.A. County who is Trumpian to say the least. We have someone who is anti-mask mandates in L.A. County in our current sheriff, Alex Villanueva. This current uh, sheriff, according to Chief Cecil, who will be coming on the podcast, is allowing tattoo gangs to run rampant within the L.A. Uh, County Sheriff's Department. blew my freaking mind to know that, uh, Ben, you do deal with policing cases all the time, so you probably had an insight of this, and I feel like it's something in the back of your mind you're always kind of thinking about. But for somebody to come out and expose the fact that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department has deputy gangs within the department is truly just a horrifying, horrifying thing. Yeah, they have street gangs within the L.A. County Sheriff's Department who have tattoos. And they're not just one gang. There are different cliques and different gangs with different tattoos that run different sections and encourage police violence. This is a major issue that Chief Cecil Rambo is running on it. And look, it doesn't surprise me, but I think it will surprise uh, you know, some of our um, listeners and viewers that that this is the case. And I just remember early on in my career, kind of just a crazy story. I was doing a police shooting case out in Bakersfield. And one of the individuals who lost their lives, who was the suspect who was involved, um, you know, in this officer involved shooting, it turned out when we got the text messages because his girlfriend installed an app. She was worried that he was cheating on her. And so she installed an app on his phone. And it turned out that he was a confidential informant. And it basically led this entire investigation to find out that the Bakersfield Police Department was keeping confidential informants off the books so they could use confidential informants as drug dealers. Oh and the and the gosh. guy who was it's crazy. The guy who was in McFarland, USA, Disney made a movie based on this guy, Damasio Diaz. Look it up. It's the craziest story about him being a track star, you know, growing up in Oildale in, in California. This was the cop who was running these confidential informants off the books. He was caught basically being the biggest drug dealer in Kern County was the cop and the cop was only sentenced to five oh years in prison gosh. because the judge was a cop at the at, at, at the time. The federal prosecutors recommended a minimum 15 year sentence. And the and the main drug dealer who ran those gangs in Fresno was sentenced to five years. Crazy story. Look, it's, up it's, it's truly unbelievable. And, and Chief Rambo, who is running for Sheriff of L.A. County, he's actually exposed a lot of this and spoken out about a lot of this within the sheriff's department. So and we're going to hold him to the fire. You know, we're going to ask him some tough questions because as the stories you're saying, there's obviously a lot of extreme problems with uh, policing across the country and especially in Los Angeles. And I think one of the unique things, Ben, is, you know, when people think about Los Angeles and California, they think about a liberal 
city, you know, conservatives are like, oh, Los Angeles, California, liberal California. But there are some deeply MAGA red areas in this state. And there's a lot of corruption, fascists in this state. And, you know, part of this does bleed over into policing. This does bleed over into our politics, even though Democrats hold a supermajority. We're seeing it here with the recall election. And so I'll actually use this time also to say if you're out there in California, please, when you get your ballot, vote no to recall Gavin Newsom. Vote no. There's a second question on the ballot that asks who you want to replace the governor with if he is recalled. The recommendation coming from the governor's office and the Democratic Party is to leave that blank. So just concern yourself with voting no on your ballot and save California from this crazy QA non-fascist takeover. It's the craziest system that you could basically get in a state with tens of millions of people. You could get a couple million of the craziest voices and subvert the will of the voters. We can't let all the progress that we've seen in California get reversed. We can't let California become Florida and we can't DeSantis California. It would be a disaster. And yes, it would only be a year if he gets recalled of Republican rule before there is another election. But think about how much damage can be done in that short amount of time. Think about how many lives could be lost as a result of that decision. And please encourage all of your friends to vote. This is going to be a strictly turnout based election and we need every single vote we could get here. I said it perfectly. Look, we can't DeSantis California where DeSantis is literally trying to murder his constituents and the people that live in his state. Newsom is trying to do everything in his power to save lives. I think today or the other day, he mandated vaccines for teachers going back to school. I mean, look, that that's a great first step in getting things back on track in a, in a state that was hit quite hard from the pandemic. Here's what I want to say about it, too. If you think California cannot affect you in your state, think again, because California, of course, has two senators, one of them being Diane Feinstein, who is Let's face it, she's she's old. She's at the end of her career. If anything were to happen to Senator Feinstein, guess who right now would have the opportunity to replace that senator? The governor. And if we lose the governorship to a Republican, that means we will lose control of the Senate. So I cannot emphasize enough how important this recall is. Please vote no September 14th or before September 14th if you get your ballot in the mail. Whatever you think of Newsom, these GQPs who are running to replace him are crazier than DeSantis. So put it that way. These people are more psychotic, less competent, and crazier than DeSantis. And that's who would be in charge of California. It would be a disaster. And this truly is life or death. It's it's that simple. And we need to take this recall very, very seriously. Moving on, brothers, a lot of new podcasts Midas Touch is launching. You know, we always set out to build this pro-democracy media network, and it's great to see it starting to take shape. Uh, You know, all of these projects have been in the works for some time. They take a lot of time to develop. uh, But Kremlin File is a huge hit done with Bunker Crew. Um, some great hosts, Olga and Monique, who are uh, just get the best interviews out there. And another great episode of Kremlin File today. But the, the lens within which you should watch Kremlin File is the following. What happened in Russia can happen here. Mm-hmm. 
almost completely happened here with what Trump was trying to do in overturning a democratic election. But those exact tactics were Putin's tactics. Trump utilized Putin tactics to get elected. And then when he lost in this election, tried to utilize the authoritarian playbook to literally take over the United States as a dictator. And more and more news comes out about that, Brett. You read the breaking New York Times story this week about the United States attorney, B.J. Pock, over in Atlanta, who resigned when it became clear that he was being targeted by Donald Trump for not unlawfully overturning the elections. And B.J. Pock was a former U.S. attorney from Atlanta. And that story is just shocking and I think makes it clear that Trump absolutely needs to be prosecuted for his interference with the elections. Um, and that makes it clear. And that B.J. Pock story from New York Times, by the way, comes out of these hearings that are being held by the Judiciary Committee within the United States Senate um, that Dick Durbin leads. And they are asking a lot of tough questions of people who uh, were there in those very scary days, December, January, when Trump tried to overturn the election. Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue actually had a phone call with Pac the night before he resigned. And according to the New York Times, he had relayed to Pac that the White House was frustrated with the failure to bring voter fraud investigations in the state. Pac himself had said nothing publicly about why he left this post until recently. As all these stories come out, it's just becoming clear that this was a egregious attempt to overturn the will of voters and institute a Putin-style dictatorship here in the United States of America. And I am happy to see that these investigations are proceeding. I hope DOJ is also pursuing these to the fullest extent of the law, because this is not something we could let slide. When we see this happening at the presidency, we have to prosecute this more than anything. Because Trump was president, that makes this all the more important that he is tried, convicted, and locked up for this behavior. Because if he is not, we are inviting an autocratic takeover to this country. And I hope that Merrick Garland at DOJ is paying attention. And I think he is. But I just want to make it clear how important it is. And legal experts, Ben, agree with me here. They are seeing this and they are basically saying that DOJ has no choice at this point but to indict Donald Trump. This leaves them with no alternatives. You see these Kevin McCarthy shirts that he's selling? Um, <laughs> put it up Put it up on the screen for those watching. It literally says, <laughs> literally says moron on the, you know, on. on the shirt. Come on. It literally says moron. And so I'm not quite sure. You have to read it in the small letters. A term coined by Nancy Pelosi referring to freedom-loving Americans who oppose mask mandates. And then they have a gigantic moron on the shirt. So, um, hey, if if uh, you're out there at GQP, buy that shirt. I, I encourage you to buy the moron shirt and, and to wear the moron shirt around. We're pretty good at identifying <laughs> you right now that you're morons. We, we have a good sense of who you are, but it'll make it just a little bit easier for us. And especially as 
those who love democracy wear the vaxxed bracelets and the GQP repellent that um, is out of the Midas Touch merch store. It's a great way to say, okay, moron, vaxxed. Moron, pro-democracy. The layers of approvals that this thing went through to get greenlit is, is sort of horrifying. I think that's where you're wrong, Jordy. The issue with them is there are no layers of approval, okay? <laughs> it literally is somebody who fucking posts that. And Guys, this, think is, it's- this is the best cell phone I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I've never seen something so incredible as the shirt being sold by Kevin McCarthy. And I think it's fitting that it is in that MAGA hat red. It's the same color, which now I think is just the color of morons. Unfortunately, what Trump did is he, he ruined red hats for everybody. You know, Trump is to red hats what Hitler is to the toothbrush mustache. And it's hard to wear a red hat out there in the world now without somebody thinking you're MAGA. And now with the shirt, it's now seems like they're just totally co-opting this this red color as the uh, as more on red. I think I'll call it <laughs> if it was a Crayola color, it would be more on red. Uh, more on MAGA red. This was very helpful context that we know that they are morons out there. Um, and speaking of morons, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell. Oh, my God. You know, they wear they wear that red shirt underneath the suit as Rudy farts on Jenna Ellis. He's definitely wearing he's definitely wearing red moron shirts. I have no doubt about it, but. They filed moronic motions to dismiss in the Dominion lawsuit. If you recall, back in June, there was about uh, four hours of oral argument uh, before U.S. District Judge Carl J. Nichols, where Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Mike Lindell from My Pillows, what a crew, seeking to dismiss the lawsuit. The court denied the motion to dismiss on all grounds, which means the case against Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and Mike Lindell brought by Dominion will uh, proceed. And uh, this is a that that ruling was actually a day after. Um, and this is, you know, such wild timing. Um, a day after Dominion announced that it would be suing uh, Newsmax in the Superior Court of Delaware. And uh, OAN as well um, in the District Court of Columbia. So Dominion's file two additional. It's lawsuits. so incredible. I like that Dominion is doing more to hold these bad actors accountable right now than DOJ. <laughs> like all these, all these various things. But in all seriousness, what I think is important here, Ben, and, and I'm speaking as the layperson, not, not the attorney, but think about actually what the right wing has done to Dominion. We may view it as a joke and say, oh, these people are clowns and they are making up all these lies about Dominion voting machines that are just ridiculous. But think about what they the damage that they did to the Dominion brand in future elections. Think about in these red counties, if they were to order Dominion machines and people were to show up, these MAGA people, and they see that they're Dominion machines, there could be chaos. There could be complaints. They will have to not purchase those machines to avoid potential violence at the polls to avoid controversy over nothing, over lies, over total batshit crazy lies. So Dominion is suing uh, basically all these people for $1.3 billion ahead. And I think that that is maybe not even enough. 
if you think about the long-term losses and damages that a company like Dominion is going to face as a result of all these lies. Oh, I agree. I mean, sometimes you hear these numbers, billion-dollar lawsuits, but you know, Dominion was one of the largest voting machine companies in the country, if not the largest. They were diligent uh, in their compliance efforts. They had multiple forms of backups with uh, handwritten voting as well as the Dominion electronic system. And so when you've done these kind of bullshit recounts in some of these different states, they've been basically identical to the handwritten, you know, to a T, you know, with all of them. And by the way, where are these cyber ninjas? Are they still hiding out in Montana right now? in their failed and flawed fake audit that they did in Arizona. It's such a mockery of the system that the Republican GQP supports that style of of incompetence and just doesn't support competence. Yeah. And the good news is, though, is that all these people listed in the suit from OAN to Newsmax to Lindell to Giuliani, all these people are going to spend the rest of their lives miserable. They're going to spend the rest of their lives in litigation. They're going to spend the rest of their lives broke, completely broke, because they're going to be cleaned out by these lawsuits, and rightfully so. And I greatly look forward to seeing that. And we've already seen Rudy Giuliani hit the cameo for what is he selling his uh, videos for 199 bucks a cameo to try to make back (laughs) some of this money. I mean, it's beyond parody. This guy right now, Rudy, in the case of Rudy, he is so desperate and he is so upset with Trump and the Trump team because they refuse to give him a single dime to support his legal battles. He is being sued for $1.3 billion by Dominion. He no longer has the license to practice law in multiple states. This guy has completely turned his entire image, all the respect he may have earned over a lifetime around for a fraud and a con man, because it turns out Rudy himself is a fraud and a con man, and he deserves everything, everything that is coming his way. If we wanted to, we could probably get Rudy to do a pro Midas cameo without him even realizing who he's doing it for. If we wanted to, that's all I'm saying. And the other thing is Lindell's <laughs> going broke even before the lawsuits. Did you see he admitted to spending $12 million on looking into the non-election fraud? I mean, ridiculous, man. He hosted this whole symposium that was once again supposed to be the breakthrough that was going to change everything. And of course, it's a dud and it's ridiculous and nobody even showed up and it was riddled with technical issues. But once again, they cannot admit defeat and they cannot admit that they are just wholly incompetent and to bring this back to the beginning, fucking morons. And so what instead they do is they blame the mythical they, they are out to get us. They are doing this to us and they blame the deep state. And so every problem that occurred at this Michael and Dell event yesterday, he was like, oh yes, it's the deep state sabotaging our technology. They don't want you to hear what's going on. It's like, no, you are a fucking moron who doesn't know how to run a computer or a projector or whatever the hell you are doing. You are beyond incompetent. And the fact that the Republican Party is taking their cues from you shows that they belong as far away from power as humanly possible. 
you know, I saw there was someone who I who I used to know, and this person over time kind of went from being fairly normal to kind of becoming a trumper, and kind of out of the blue, sent me a message yesterday, uh, and, and 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 this is and a DM on on Instagram, just completely out of nowhere. This is what it said. <laughs> How's your support for the Democratic Party going? All of you anti-Trumpers are pretty quiet now. What? No pro-Biden propaganda? And I just responded to it. I was not going to respond and I was going to ignore it. But I said, things are going good. Hope you're doing well. Um, was, <laughs> was, was my response. But this was a fairly normal person. And living in such a strange bubble where... Whatever that person sent me about about Biden propaganda and that we're quiet now, like what are you talking about? I literally have no clue what that could even possibly mean. And what we have here truly is kind of QAnonish corrupting the minds and this and this GQP stupidity, corrupting the minds of people. Like it, to me, it's about competence. Think about the, the process the and the mindset that went through that person's head to DM you. Oh, I haven't spoken to Ben in a few months now. Let me let me nudge him a little bit on how he thinks Biden's doing, knowing that he runs Midas Touch. Let me let me poke him. What a weird. It's a weird way to poke because it's almost like this person was gloating that things were great and everybody was loving Trump again. When it's like you're not looking at the world through a prism of reality. It's like sending me a message and saying. How is it that, you know, the earth is round propaganda that you're putting out going <laughs> like that's basically that's basically what it is, because for these GQPers, uh, QAnoners, flat earthers, they're, they're basically all the same. You see the most recent poll um, to give it some context. It's, it's a Fox News poll, which I normally don't like quoting, but I think in this area, provide some useful data points because amongst Trump voters who participated in this poll, 54% say they're vaccinated. Remember the Trump voters lie. 54% say they're vaccinated and 32% say they don't plan on getting vaccinated. So 32% of Trump voters are just anti-vax. That's a significant portion of a voter pool. And then with Biden voters, 86% are already vaccinated. 3% 3% don't plan to get vaccinated. I, I understand that these numbers don't add up to 100%, so I'm not fully sure where the other percentages are. I'm guessing sure there was another undecided. So yeah, I'm sure there's something. And, but remember, when you see 32% don't plan to get vaccinated, that is 32% of the 32%. And it still is a lot, but it's not as much as 32% of like the entire population. Yeah, but they lie. So I don't believe the 54% are already vaccinated. That's part of their plan to trick the deep state into believing that they're vaccinated. They, they, they say bullshit like that. To answer these Trumpers, the people who are entering your DMs, oh, what happened? Nothing good to say about Biden? No, actually, 
I am incredibly impressed by President Biden. He's doing a phenomenal job. It is night and it's not even night and day. It's night and something that you can't even fathom that exists. <laughs> you know, the turnaround that we've seen in this country has really been historic. We're actually seeing what a competent leader looks like in office from the American Rescue Plan to the passage of the $1 trillion infrastructure bill. This is a guy who is actually getting things done for Americans. All the various things that Trump had talked about for four years and was too incompetent to do, Joe Biden has done within the first seven months of his administration, and he's just getting started. Immediately after the Senate passed the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, they went to the floor of the Senate and passed the $3.5 trillion budget resolution for the reconciliation bill for the infrastructure bill, which will add things like free community college and, and universal pre-K and all these other various wish list items that Democrats have and Americans have. They're wide popular amongst the American people. So what you're seeing, Ben, when you get those DMs are just flails of desperation by people who are living in their own little bubbles, watching Newsmax, watching OAN that are just taking in, you know, they call it pro-Biden propaganda. They're just taking in anti-Biden propaganda that talks about Hunter Biden all day, that lies about causes of inflation, that presents them with just fake information and, and fake facts and nothing that Biden is doing is positive. But meanwhile, that person, I bet they're taking the, the child tax credit check that enters their bank account. I bet they took that American Rescue Plan check. Um, they're probably not getting the vaccine, but hey, we have a guy who's pushing vaccines to the country and is encouraging people, unlike these GQP governors, unlike these QAnon cultists, unlike Donald Trump, who sat on a working vaccine and couldn't even distribute it to the people, just a total and complete, utter failure. If Donald Trump was able to get vaccines out there, I would have been very supportive of it. If Donald Trump encouraged uh, people to be safe during COVID, I would have encouraged it. If Donald Trump would have passed infrastructure, I would have supported it. Those things are good for America at the end of the day. And I don't, you know, fanboy Joe Biden as a as a human being. You know, I fanboy competence at the end of the day. That's what I care about. I care about the train arriving on time. I care about not waking up every single day and thinking about the what crazy thing the president of the United States is going to say or do every single day. And I just want the country to run efficiently so that myself, my friends, my colleagues, all of you listening, family, everybody can just go on with their lives and just do things as, as Americans. That's all I want for this country. And I don't want a president who has dictatorial ambitions, who wants to turn America into this corrupt Putin-style autocratic rule. Uh, speaking of people who want to turn their municipalities and their areas into autocratic rule, we have Alex Villanueva right here, the a current sheriff of L.A. who is running a Trump style, you know, sheriff leadership here in Los Angeles. So it, it makes me feel like this sheriff's race, which is why I want to have Chief Cecil Rambo on, is kind of its own version of Biden versus Trump. In a way, you have Chief Cecil Rambo, who's been 33 years in public service, maybe more, 40 years in public service, um, who's been methodical, diligent, you know, who has a reputation for stellar integrity. And then you have a guy like Alex Villanueva, who's like unprepared, 
running on bombastic rhetoric and just bringing and corrupting the sheriff's department to new lows. So when we come back from these messages, we will have Chief Cecil Rambo. What a great name on the Midas Touch podcast. Rambo. Rambo. We'll be right back after these messages. What's up, Midas Mighty? Have you subscribed to all the Midas Media Network podcasts? I hope you do. Don't do it right this second, but as soon as this podcast is over, I want you to go to wherever you download your podcast, and I want you to subscribe to Kremlin File. I want you to subscribe to Mea Culpa. I want you to subscribe to Legal AF, and I want you to subscribe to our new launch, Zoomed In, featuring Aaron Parnas and Jack Cacciarella, who are focusing on issues important to Gen Z. Make sure you subscribe to all the Midas Media Network podcasts. And of course, if you're listening to this or if you're watching, I'm sure you're subscribed to the Midas Touch podcast. But in the extent you're not, make sure you hit subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast and make sure you leave five star reviews for each of those podcasts. We've seen this movie before. In a time of crisis, a strong man gets elected, claims to be an outsider, but becomes corrupt and obsessed with power. I'm Chief Cecil Rambo, and I'm running to clean up the Sheriff's Department, this time for good. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Chief Cecil Rambo. Chief Rambo will be running for L.A. County Sheriff. He's currently Chief of Police at LAX has an incredible resume, 33-year department veteran, later became the city manager in his hometown of Compton. This is all near and dear to my heart as a L.A. resident. Chief Rambo, welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. Hey, thank you guys for having me. So, Chief Rambo, when you announced that you were running for L.A. County Sheriff, the headlines were all filled with Chief Rambo comes out swinging. Uh, in his first campaign <laughs> video, comparing the current sheriff, Alex Villanueva, as the Donald Trump of L.A. County. Living in L.A. County, I know what that means. But to all those out there who don't live in L.A. County, what do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, I've, I've known Alex for a long time. Though. You know, we worked on the department together. And unfortunately, him, uh, him in a political position, like Donald Trump, he was tweeting, he was uh, acting as if, uh, you know, he was the only politician in Los Angeles County that could get anything done. Uh, he was denying things that uh, were in the face of, uh, you know, opposition to the truth and, and things that people knew. Uh, and uh, he really was displaying a lot of um, what I perceived as um, political incompetence as well as professional incompetence. You know, and before him, you had uh, Sheriff McDonald, who I mean, I, I, I threw fundraiser events back in the day at my office and I, and I thought that he was worksmanlike and, you know, and professional and, 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 and had a plan. And I remember when he was saying that Villanueva was running, you know, there were the same kind of warning signs there that kind of had that Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump-esque dynamic even then. Like, did you see those warning signs on the wall when Villanueva <laughs> was running that he was going to use that position to do exactly what he's doing now, which is a lot of grandstanding kind of mixed with that kind of Trumpian incompetence? Well, I, you know, I've known Alex for so many years. This isn't his first run uh, for sheriff. Uh, he's run before many times against, uh, you know, the 
previous sheriff or, or Sheriff Baca. Uh, his behavior hasn't really changed. He's very combative uh, to the point that he even started his own union, uh, separated from the union and the sheriff's department and tried and started his own. Uh, so what he what he's doing really isn't surprising. Um, I had spoken to Jim. Jim and I are friends. Uh, and, uh, I was even asked to run against Jim and I wouldn't, uh, I, I talked to him and we, you know, we spoke, uh, at length. And, and one thing I did remind him is that, you know, um, you can never underestimate candidates cause you don't know, they may seem like they're inexperienced or that they have no chance at all, but you know, people are emotional. People don't really know the, the nuances and, you know, the difference between a Lieutenant and a person who's been a chief or an assistant chief. So, uh, you know, and we see the outcome of that. You know, you get the government you vote for, not the one you deserve. You mentioned uh, Sheriff Baca. You know, in your career, you haven't been shy of holding police accountable, holding people accountable for corruption. If you see it, you've called it out. And in fact, in connection with the corruption investigation that led to a conviction, a federal conviction of Sheriff Baca, I mean, you were called, you know, to provide testimony um, and, and offer testimony on the subject. You believe that's important to even hold other officers accountable like that? Because that that's rare right there that, that someone like you would do. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you that it wasn't easy uh, because the sheriff, you know, I had known the sheriff for, you know, most uh, most of my career. And and look, cops don't take these jobs. You know, we come on very idealistic, quite frankly, and, and none of us take these jobs to end up in jail. Um, but I can tell you that integrity and, and we're in the trust based business and it's important for us to have, uh, you know, the community's trust uh, as well as the, the integrity and the trust of the organization. Um, and so, yeah, it was very difficult. But but when you can't uh, reason with your boss uh, and what I think a lot of people forget is that you you don't have to follow an, an order if it's illegal. Uh, and I'm you know, I'm just not going to you know, I couldn't tolerate that and. Uh, it's unfortunate what happened, uh, but, you know, I, I consider myself a person of a pretty significant integrity. And I worked internal affairs twice. I've worked internal criminals. Um, and, but I've been a street cop, too. So I, I walked in a lot of different shoes. So, yeah, it was it was tough. But integrity and trust, you know, is a very important uh, you know, component of our business. Tell our viewers about a issue that is is shocking, but that exists within the department, which is that there are maybe subject to federal investigation, which is that there there are these gangs, police officers mm-hmm. who are in gangs or cliques and they have tattoos and celebrate police violence as part of what the gangs do. One of the things you've run on is to root that out. But the very existence of that, you know, maybe we hear about that. But the fact that one, let me just ask you, that that exists in, in, in LA right now. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, that that it does. If you look at the history of all the things written about the the clicks inside the organization, um, like many, you know, subgroups, they start out relatively innocently, but mascots at stations, things like that. Uh, and then somewhere over the over the the course of time, uh, they evolved into these subgroups of folks who, just like in the, the Rafael Perez case, uh, or even now in the sheriff's department in some of these cliques, they, uh, they lose their moral barometer. Uh, and, and there's, you know, way, you know, you don't even know how to get into these groups. You're recruited somehow. Uh, you know, how do you get the tattoo? Why do you have a tattoo? What are the, you know, the other things that are added to the tattoo and how do you get that? I mean, it's just, it's really ridiculous. And I think, 
it's really immature. Um, and it's unfortunate that the current sheriff doesn't really want to acknowledge that, you know, there's a very small minority of people in the department who are really tarnishing the reputation and the, and the trustworthiness of the organization. Uh, so, you know, as we saw, I think there was an article yesterday about uh, some gang detectives that, uh, you know, put some false statements in a report, uh, you know, in, in opposition to a, a, a deputy that they tried to recruit to be um, party to those statements. You know, and that I, I don't understand that. Uh, I mean, I've been around a long time. I've been the cop 35 years now and I've been a public servant for 40. I, I just don't understand why they just, uh, you know, how this behavior continues. And it's not even just that Alex Villanueva is silent on it in that Trumpian fashion. When I watch it, it it's almost like a, a wink and a nod to it as well. Like, mm. like, like I, I'm with you. Like, I'm not going to go out, not just the, I'm not going to call you out, but like, uh, keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and, and unfortunately that's the kind of message that the leader of the organization can't, can't put out. I mean, you know, my position in, and because I was in the department so long, people know me pretty well. Uh, and, uh, you know, they know that uh, I'm not going to tolerate that and I'm not going to give a wink and a nod to it. And I'll have very frank discussions with with groups. And I think really uh, part of uh, changing the culture, you know, because not every station in, in or never not every um, unit inside the sheriff's department has these subcultures. There's 70 plus units in there. Um, and t- typically what you find are those those folks that gravitate towards the more higher crime areas where you see a lot of really, um, quite frankly, disturbing things. I mean, I've had to bury three three-year-olds in my uh, patrol career, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's you know, emotionally disturbing. And it, it really, you know, one thing's the things, um, you know, I ran for mayor in 04 in Compton. And one of the things that I, reasons I ran is because the level of violence that I saw there was just like a normal, like people accepted that. And, uh, and when you're policing that, you know, it becomes, uh, there's a mindset out there that I think, uh, you know, one of the things I like to really introduce is, uh, you know, some of the deputies that work in these areas uh, year in and year out probably need to be pulled out, um, kind of, you know, de- you know, decompress and come out of these really, really emotional trauma filled areas um, uh, and really kind of uh, get their mental health back together. Um, you know, that's something that cops and particularly male cops don't do very well is make admissions about emotional issues. And I think it, it affects people subliminally. So when you look at these, the formation of these gangs, I think, you know, they actually feel like they're a fine line between anarchy and, and you know, safety and, and things like that. So uh, there's there's a number of ways that I and ideas I have to try to infiltrate and and deal with that culture. What are those? So so you know that we start in the academy. We go through this 22 week you know 26 week long academy. So you talk about uh, subcultures there. You let them know look these things exist. This is why they shouldn't exist. Um, they're detrimental to you know this trust based organization and to our you know the uh, veracity of who we are and what we stand for. Once they come uh, into the custodial setting, you you talk about it again at orientation, uh, and then once they go to uh, try to be a training officer, uh, you talk about it with training officers and how to you know uh, understand, recognize what's going on, how to prevent these kind of clicks from happening. Same with sergeant super school before you promote to sergeant or within a year, you have to go to supervisory school for sergeant and the same for watch commanders for lieutenants. Uh, And then there's also just uh, you can't promote folks that uh, have participated in this kind of behavior 
if, uh, you know, if you keep promoting people that do that, then you're really, that's a, a, a literal wink that we're kind of condoning this behavior. Uh, so stop rewarding the behavior. Uh, make sure you talk about it. Make sure it becomes a part of the training at every level in the organization. Uh, and then you demonstrate, you know, through demonstrable leadership, uh, what you will and will not tolerate. One of the things you refused to tolerate was the police tactic of using the chokehold. You famously banned the use of the chokehold in your role as chief of police at LAX airport. What caused you to take that action? And what do you think is the role of using force in policing? You know, I think, uh, you know, looking at the George Floyd incident, and even though he didn't, you know, pass from a chokehold, he passed from compression on his uh, body and neck. Um, you know, again, I've been doing this job a long time. I told my, my police unions, I've never really seen a carotid restraint work well, particularly with someone who's under the influence or who's combative. Um, you know, there's other methods and too many people, uh, even if they don't pass away directly from that, there's too many other contributing factors because you don't know the physical health of the person that you're wrestling around with all too often, you know, it, it leads to unfortunate circumstances that, that people just, you know, you don't want to be in a situation when you've taken someone's life over, you know, uh, passing a counterfeit $20 bill. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. Right. So, um, you know, in the pushback, of course, in the airport environment, as you've seen in the news, you know, people uh, behaving badly on airplanes, you know, their position was we're in a confined area. If we have to go on a plane and we need to, you know, take a combative suspect, you know, uh, out, we really need to have that tool available to us. And I'm like, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. There's other methods to do that. And uh, we have a lot of tools. And, and since Rodney King, a lot of uh, equipment that police carry evolved from not having that equipment. When I was a patrol deputy in the 80s, I had a wheel gun, a revolver, uh, a baton, no pepper spray, uh, and a whistle and a flashlight. That's all I had. Now we've got stun back shotguns. We have tasers, you have rubber projectiles, you've got um, pepper spray, you have hobble restraints. All this equipment now has evolved over the years that are all less than lethal forms of, of dealing with combative suspects. And so, you know, the karate restraint was, uh, you know, uh, popular and somehow popularized for the last 25 or 30 years. And, and clearly, uh, just like the old bar harm chokehold that uh, killed Mr. Suttles in, in Signal Hill years ago, uh, needed to be abolished. And I don't think that the deputies are less safe because they don't have that tool. And you're just speaking about all the all these various tools that you now have that you never used to have. Is there a point in your mind where it may be crossed into being too much, an over-militarization of the police? A point mm -hmm. where you're giving police almost too many tools where in the wrong hands, it could be lethal as we've seen countless times. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on kind of that, that appearance as we see police in like literal tanks rolling down the streets in cities during Black Lives Matter protests and things like that. I think it's hard to look at that and say, you know, that's a normal <laughs> use of, mm -hmm. of force mm -hmm. of, of a show of power. Yeah, I think, you know, so there's a, a little bit of a conflation on the militarization part. So, um, you know, the uh, some of the agencies throughout the country get uh, surplus military equipment. Uh, we at the airport do not. Uh, the thing that you're talking about is called a Bearcat. Usually they're, um, they're armored vehicles that the SWAT team uses uh, to confront armed, armed folks. 
But I understand what you're saying. I mean, the reality is, are we using the equipment properly? Uh, I think, you know, in policing a free society, it's unfortunate that we have to have some tools available to us to, to try to make uh, an arrest of a combative suspect as safely as possible. And I've seen instances in which like uh, electronic stun devices, tasers are, are overused, right? Because, uh, you know, the officers or the deputies don't really uh, utilize it to the best of their ability, the way they're trained to use it, uh, because they think it's going to incapacitate a person and that they should just pass out and, and be cuffed. Um, I think that uh, we need some tools available to us because if you take some of the tools away, then you also take options away for, for the officers to really be effective, protect themselves and protect other people. Um, so training is really, really big as it relates to the type of equipment that's used in uh, mass demonstrations or mass, uh, mass civil uh, protests or peaceful protests. Um, I, I think we have to differentiate between uh, what happens if you have um, uh, people just exercising their First Amendment right, and then they're infiltrated by a group of people who might be anarchists or people who really um, disrupt what they're trying to do. It makes it very difficult. So I think, you know, I don't think it's always necessary to have the kind of equipment that you see. Uh, but at, at some points, uh, depending on the size of the crowd, the nature of the crowd, what's going on. I mean, at the command post at, at the George Floyd incident, there was someone through a tomahawk into the command post. And, uh, you know, we, we have even no idea where that came from, but that's, mm -hmm. that's pretty scary. Chief Rambo, on another note, as uh, we all know, we're in the midst of a public health crisis. COVID-19, the Delta variant, is ravaging cities around the country, and your opponent doesn't want to enforce mask mandates. What's up with that? And, and what would you do as far as the COVID-19 crisis in Los Angeles were you, were you to become sheriff? Uh, look, my dad passed from COVID in eight days uh, after receiving one shot. And I think that uh, anybody who's been in you know, this planet over the last year has, has been somehow touched by this disease or this illness, for him to say that he's not going to enforce the mask mandate, I think was really um, irresponsible. Uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, we've been we've never had to not enforce it in the transportation sector. So we've had it at the airport. And, and what I tell the officers is, you know, we're not going to take people to the ground. We're not going to use force on folks who refuse to wear a mask. Um, but be courteous, ask for cooperation, offer them a mask, uh, point out the kiosk. Uh, explain to them the safety rules. Uh, and if they refuse to wear the mask, then ask them to leave the airport. Uh, and, you know, the few incidents we've had with folks are they've been drinking, they've been already combative with people on the airlines, uh, you know, our flight crews and things like that. But for the most part, we write people tickets for not wearing helmets. We write people tickets for not putting on their seatbelts or for texting while driving. It's a safety precaution. And far more people have died from COVID than have died from not wearing their seatbelt. So, um, I'm not sure why he, he made that statement. Perhaps it was political. Um, I really don't like the politicization of COVID because it's, it's an empty argument. I mean, it's killing people. It's killed 4 million people. I don't understand why, you know, why this is such a pushback. Uh, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling to me. Switching gears slightly. Um, hey, there's been a lot of distrust amongst police officers and, and civilians, um, especially over the last, call it 16, 18 months. What, what do you think you can do to help sort of bridge that gap and start, you know, bringing um, officers and civilians together and getting everybody on the same page? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I had to do that when we, we took over police in Compton, which uh, in 2000, they had been their own agency for a hundred years. Uh, and you can imagine the, the acrimony, it, you know, that took place when we did that. And uh, one of the things that we did is uh, one is demonstrable leadership, right? So I was in the community. I would do things like literally jog down the most crime ridden streets, talk to the, the gangsters, um, I remember I went in someone's backyard and we started lifting weights together and stuff. And just to kind of kind of know folks, you know, and I, I went on a walk with a, a guy. Uh, I won't tell you his real name, but they called him Chopper. And uh, we were walking down the street and goes, yeah, you see that dude over there? You know, he shot me you know, three years ago and it's all good, though. You know, and uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's really once you get to know these folks and, you know, their parents and their grandparents, you know, they really want the best for for their their younger kids coming up. Um, so. So demonstrating uh, that you're not afraid of the community, that you want to work with them. Uh, and then again, you know, letting people know, letting the deputies know what you will and will not tolerate. Um, I think body-worn cameras are good. Uh, we had, we were the only station back in 2000 that actually had car cams. Uh, and it was such an old technology. We had VHS tapes in the trunks uh, of the vehicles. Um, but I think it went a long way to, to creating public trust. And by the time I left Compton three years later, uh, they were already putting a, a vote on the ballot uh, to um, make it where you have to vote to get the sheriff out of Compton rather than have three members of the council say, we just don't want the sheriff anymore and kick the sheriff out. Now it's, it's got to go to a vote of the people. And that was because of the goodwill that, that me and my team created, uh, working closely with the community, working with ceasefire committees. Um, we did something innovative like uh, gang shooting would occur and I had some, uh, a group of moms who had lost their kids to gang violence and they became grief counselors. So when the shooting happens, I'd call them up, they'd come out, they were called cry no more. <clears throat> and they would come out and they would be grief counselors for, uh, you know, these families that had lost people to, to gang violence. And it, it really went a long way. Uh, peace marches with, with uh, formerly incarcerated folks. I mean, all, all that stuff, working with the Nation of Islam, uh, you know, I know Minister Tony personally, and, and you know, we, I could call him right now and we could have a very, you know, great conversation. It's just that kind of stuff that back then, you know, I was doing progressive stuff before the lexicon came out. And, you know, people thought I was kind of kind of wacky. But, I, you know, I grew up in Compton and South Central. I mean, these are, you know, I'm comfortable. That's, that's awesome. Um, and switching gears completely now, a question that I promise you the CNNs of the world won't ask you. You say having the last name Rambo is like the coolest last name a police officer can have. <laughs> and is it true that you are actually the original Rambo? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and you, as you guys know, my, from my background, I'm adopted from an orphanage in Korea, right? I was literally pulled out of a photo album and my adopted parents were black and they were, their last name was Rambo. And, you know. Uh, you know, and I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. And so that was kind of a, a goofy name until suddenly Sylvester Stallone comes out with this movie in the 80s. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm this bad, badass. If I can curse, I'm sorry, you know. And, and uh, yeah, but then when you see me, I'm only like 5'8", 160 pounds. You're like, oh, this little guy, you know, so. <laughs> Going off those types of questions, you know, look, you're clearly more experienced than your opponent in, in, in the race. I mean, I, I don't think that's a disputed fact is it a weird concept to you though in general for those listening you know that you know unlike in the city where 
where it's not like an election for who's going to be the police chief. Like, is it just a weird concept to you that you have to like run for this position versus like a meritocracy where, you know, you, you have the experience and you, you do have the experience, but yet you have to run against someone who's less experienced, who's got to like yell and scream and shout and say all these crazy Trump, you know, Trump things. It's just an odd concept. Look, I mean, it's 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 part of the whole democratic process. Right. You know, and and think about it. Most most uh, politicians who get their seats were ne- who's president before they were president. Right. You know, it's like, eh, you know, I get that. Uh, it, it is uh, interesting. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I'm sure there are going to be attacks down the road and, and my position will be, how did I pass all these backgrounds? How did I get FBI secret clearance to get the job I currently have? But whenever the attacks come out, then I'm totally incompetent and I'm, you know, I'm completely uh, inept for the job that I'm seeking. Um, you know, so it is an interesting, interesting kind. And then I have to convince folks that I'm, I'm worthy and, and really capable and trustworthy to do the job. I think that's the biggest issue is people are often disappointed by elected officials and they want to see someone that they can trust that uh, in this case, in the sheriff, they want to make sure that one, we're being, you know, uh, transparent. Uh, two, we're, we're looking at different ways to police the community. And three, that we're bringing trust back uh, to the sheriff's department um, and, and to law enforcement in general. Chief Cecil Rambo, a.k.a. the original Rambo, running for L.A. County Sheriff. We thank you for coming on the Midas Touch podcast. We'll be following the race, and we hope you come back on the show. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Great interview with Chief Rambo. I think I was the first person ever to ask him about the Rambo. To be fair, Jordy, I think you thought going into the interview that he was Rambo from the Rambo franchise. I thought, I think you thought we were going to be interviewing Sylvester Stallone. When the invite said, Midas touch with Rambo, I'm not going to lie, it was my first thought. I had to inform Jordy, A, uh, it would say Sylvester Stallone, B, Rambo, not not a real person, a fictional character actually played by Sylvester Stallone. So. And Jordy's been saying Rambo now for like three weeks. And so rarely has Jordy talked about an interview coming up. I watched the Rambo. movie ahead of the interview. Did you really watch the Rambo movie? Watch the Rambo movie you know, that's not preparation the for the end. Like the, in no way is that preparation for the interview. You realize that, right? I want to. Let's talk about the new. Let's talk about what is preparation for the for the interview, for this podcast, for everything that Midas Touch does at our core, making these incredibly captivating videos. Our most recent video is Biden Delivers. What do we think about Biden Delivers? Over, over a million views and growing, smash success. Huffington Post did a good article on it. Put the article up from Huffington Post. A few others wrote about it. I think it was a very important ad to show Trump claiming that infrastructure week was coming his entire presidency. And then just in the past nine months, Biden actually delivering on a that's, true that's schedule. the beauty of the edit. What Trump failed to do in four years, Biden did in a few months. Brett, can you play the video? Let's play it. Secretary Chow kicked off Infrastructure Week with an event uh, with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce this morning. Infrastructure Week continues. We're actually calling it Infrastructure Week in this administration, and today I have the honor to kick off our very first summit. We call it Infrastructure Week. My administration is working every day to deliver the world-class infrastructure 
that our people deserve and, frankly, that our country deserves. We are here today to discuss the urgent need to rebuild and restore America's depleted infrastructure. We're going to get this infrastructure going. Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States. President Biden to unveil an infrastructure plan. To once in a generation investment in America, unlike anything we've seen or done. Breaking news right now on Capitol Hill, where the Senate just passed the $1 trillion infrastructure bill this morning with strong bipartisan support. After years and years of infrastructure week, we're in the cusp of an infrastructure decade that I truly believe will transform America. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And why I think these ads are so important is I think highlighting those differences in the administrations is everything. You know, I think highlighting the success of the current administration, and this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast, and contrasting it with the failure of the previous administration, it cuts right through the heart of all these GQP attempts to gaslight us. All these GQP comments that goes, hey, don't you miss Trump? Fuck no, absolutely not. <laughs> and here is why, because we have somebody in office right now who is getting stuff done. And I think what I think the ad works on multiple levels because, hey, it's factual. It shows that compare and contrast and it does it in a funny way. And what we've seen across the board in testing that's come in is that when you can connect with people and, and make them laugh at the same time, we're able to deliver those messages that much more effectively. So thank you for the support of the Biden Delivers ad. And we have much more where that is coming from to highlight the successes of the Biden administration. And Bert, I just got to tell you, man, that was a phenomenal edit all the way through. People kept jumping to my DMs, complimenting you on that one. And my favorite part of that is at the very end. Were you taking end, credit for it, Jordy? Were they complimenting Brett or do they think you edited it? No, they complimented Brett. Okay. Everyone knows that Brett's the editor, I'm the marketer, and then you do the law. Bum, bum. <laughs> My favorite part at the end, Brett, was when you put Biden smiling. I mean, that was just the cherry on top. Perfect. Yeah. It's one of those like psychological things too, right? When you see somebody smile on camera, mm -hmm. and I notice as an editor, when I watch footage of people smiling, I notice that I start smiling and then I'm like, that's kind of weird. Why, <laughs> why am I doing that? But it is like a weird human Absolutely. thing that when you see another person in a visual like that, smiling and look happy, you can't help but, but do it yourself. And uh, so, I mean, you know, this is just part of the psychology that plays into while while we're cutting these ads behind the scenes. There's a lot that goes into them. It was cool. Chief of Staff Ron Klain uh, uh, retweeted it, which is pretty that cool, was, too. That was really cool. That means Biden probably saw it himself, which is extra, <laughs> extra, 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 extra cool. What we got to do is we got to figure out a way to get like Jen Psaki on the pod and, and people like that and Ron Klain on the pod and Jamie Harrison on the pod. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I would love to get these voices here to chat with the Midas Mighty about what's going on in the administration and the Democratic Party and how we're going to, you know, keep these wins going because they're such important voices. They're they're running the country. And I think this would be a, a great platform. So reach out. Let, let them know you want to see them on the Midas. Well, Mighty I have podcast. the guest schedule coming up. We have some incredible guests coming up in August and oh, September. Yes, we, do. we do. And Brett, talking about, you know, the kind of juxtaposition between democratic success and Republican failures. I mean, this is why you can't call Republicans conservative because there's literally nothing about them that's conservative. They are literally a failure 
by design. You know, you talk about like raging against the system. The GQP is like raging against healthcare. They are raging against the CDC. They're raging against things that are scientifically and empirically proven to help people's health. And so now as we're in the August recess, the GQP members are going back to their home states. And what's their message? Their message is, fuck the CDC. Okay, they are anti the CDC. They are anti the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That's the main GOP platform. Let me be clear, is fuck the CDC. A, a, a bipartisan, nonpartisan, just an entity that is, by all accounts, undisputedly internationally, the best kind of health research center um, to protect people's health and safety from security threats in the world. It's no surprise when you look at the party, they're, they're not just against the CDC, they're against health in general. They're against the idea of health. They're against the idea of adults being healthy, of the elderly being healthy, of children being healthy. Adults have to adult at the end of the day. And if you're conservative, that should be your position. Adults have to have Dr. Fauci's. Again, do we love wearing masks? Does it make us feel good to have to go into restaurants and wear masks or to go into stores and buy masks? No one wants to actually wear the mask. We wear it because we're protecting others. We're trying to keep people safe. Does anybody love getting a vaccine? Like actually literally love the process of going there and having a needle in them. No one likes to do that, but you do it to save your life and to save the life of your loved ones. If you're truly conservative, if that word has meaning, you're supposed to be an adult. And this crew are babies. They are grown babies who can't take care of themselves, who basically go back to their districts and their campaign messages, pee-pee doo-doo and rubbing it on their face, basically. That's what the Republican messaging is when you think about it, grown babies. And here's why the messaging is like that. If you break it down, their strategy right now is not how can I win elections? How could I be a leader? How can I keep people safe? It's how could I get on Fox News? How could I get Fox News and Newsmax and OAN to say good things about me? That's purely what they're concerned about, this messaging war in the right-wing media. And they are not concerned about their constituents. And as Eric Swalwell said on our podcast, it is all WWE-style performative bullshit. Case in point, Ted Cruz, who went on Fox News to rail against the entire concept of masks. And I have a clip. I'll play it right now. My, my views were very simple. There should be no mandates, zero concerning COVID. That means no mask mandates, regardless of your vaccination status. That means no, ma no vaccine mandates. Th that means no vaccine passports. And I've introduced legislation, a bill to ban vaccine passports. This week, I'm introducing a bill to ban vaccine mandates. And this will, I'm, week, I'm introducing a bill to end mask mandates. So Ted Cruz says that he wants zero laws that protect people from COVID. Nothing, not allowed to make them, according to Ted Cruz. And people very quickly 
realized, hey, Ted Cruz, don't you have children that you send to a private school that has mask mandates and you seem very okay with them going to this elite $30,000 plus a year private school, yet you seem to go publicly and rail against these same mandates. If you truly had a problem, I think Ted Cruz would actually take his kids out of the school or fight his fight the private school. He's sending them there. He could send them anywhere he wants. But yet the school that he is sending his own children to, they are taking precautions to keep his kids safe. This is another example of Republican hypocrisy. Exactly what Kenyatta said. If we have just that one brief clip when Representative Kenyatta from the House of Representatives in Pennsylvania. Kenyatta is running for uh, Senate of Pennsylvania. He basically said they can't relate because their their kids are in the private schools. Their kids are out, and, and then they go out there and then they say things that they are they know nothing about because th- their kids are protected. Anyway, just play that clip quickly. For so many folks uh, in Washington and in Harrisburg, the issues we're talking about are hypothetical. Right. So when, you know, they can talk about educating all of our kids, but so many of those folks, their kids are going to great schools. So when we are standing up saying we need to fully fund our education and they're telling us to shut up, they don't even know what we're talking about. Spot on. It just it just reminded me of what you were saying, Brett. Yeah. And, and, you know, it it also goes back if you want to dig into this Republican ideology is they want to attack the public school system. They want to completely dismantle the public school system. And you see that happening across the country. Because their kids go to private schools. Because their kids go to private schools. Exactly. And you see that in uh, in Florida with Governor DeSantis offering these private school vouchers for people who want to take their kids out of the public school system because of mandates. I mean, this is just a totally absurd thing. You have Ron DeSantis, who is actually trying to defund the schools in Florida. You heard that right. He's trying to defund the schools in Florida that impose mask mandates. And to their credit, you're seeing counties in Florida, such as Broward County, vote on a near unanimous basis. I think the vote was eight to one to institute mask mandates and defy the governor's orders that said that he will defund them if they implement these mask mandates. And so he set up this whole war now between public schools and the government and he's making the public schools decide, do you want to get paid or do you want to protect children? That's the, the sick war that he's done. And to the credit of the Biden administration, Jen Psaki said the other day that they are coming forward and they are going to look into see if they could subsidize the pay of these officials in the education system if Ron DeSantis were to actually dock their pay for taking this action to make it so that they could do this without fear of retribution from this crazy governor. And the guy is just so hypocritical because, you know, you remember a, a week or two ago, you had Death Santis saying, I don't want to hear a blip from Joe Biden about COVID until he fixes the border and does X, Y, and Z. Meanwhile, not even like a week later is DeSantis begging the federal government, send me ventilators. We're out of ventilators. Please, please send me ventilators. And Does President Biden give him the runaround and say, oh, well, if you want to go on TV 
And this is what Trump would do. If you go on TV and say that I'm doing an amazing job, then maybe I will consider giving you ventilators. No, of course not, because that's not how President Biden and this administration operates. They sent immediately 300 ventilators to the state of Florida, who so desperately needs them. And does DeSantis thank him? No, he denied. He goes, oh, I don't know. I, I actually don't even remember that's, asking that's for the, those. That's the craziest part about this whole thing is, is in secret, he's asking for these needs for his community because people are dying because of COVID. And then outwardly, he pretends that they aren't and outwardly he denies the request. Play the clip of DeSantis. I'm not, I didn't ask, I, I don't know. I did not know about that. So I've not heard about that. So I have to check to see whether that's true or not. Um, we have, I mean, I, I would honestly doubt that that's true. And that's not a profile encourage. I mean, that's a profile in the utmost cowardice. And this DeSantis character is literally one of the most crooked, weirdest, most corrupt, horrible people, politicians out. This is a just, it's just so disappointing to see the manifestation of such evil be elected to that position. Evil, yes, and I think it's important that we also emphasize when we're talking about people like Governor DeSantis, people like Governor Abbott. I think it is vital that we also make it clear that these people are not only evil, they're not effective. They're completely incompetent and in over their heads. When I look at Governor DeSantis, I see somebody who's completely flailing, doesn't know how to run a state doesn't know how to do anything right. So and he's failing the citizens of Florida. It's so Trumpian. Yes, they want to be strong men, these people, but don't even give them the benefit of that title. These are weak, incompetent losers. They are crazy. They are selfish. They are hungry for power, but they are bad at, what, bad at what they do. They are bad at what they do. And Governor DeSantis is bad for Florida. It's not even like, oh, look at the strong stance he's taking and how good of a job he's doing. He is killing people left and right. Children are dying by the day due to his incompetence. And he does not only nothing, he does the opposite. He does everything he possibly can to make the situation worse, to kill more kids and to drive his state's numbers, which he is hiding from you up and up and up. We got to send him a moron T-shirt. Maybe him and Kevin McCarthy (laughs) can create a new line in there in the moron fashion line would be ideal. I want to thank everybody for tuning into this week's episode of the Minus Touch podcast. As I alluded to earlier, we have some great guests coming up in August and September. Um, and, and even after that, we have some incredible guests lined up. We want to thank you for watching this episode of the Midas Touch podcast. Thank you, Chief Rambo, for coming on as a guest. Now is when you go and you subscribe to all those podcasts, Kremlin File, Legal AF, Zoomed In, Midas Touch podcast, and Maya Culpa, the five podcasts that Midas Touch Media Network currently produces. As always, we thank you for your support. Without you, there is no Midas Touch. There is no Midas Mighty Movement. And we encourage you, keep your spirits high, keep fighting, keep spreading the message of pro-democracy because democracy truly is in your hands. Until next time, I'm Ben, that's Brett, and you got Jordy. Signing off as always and letting you know, 
Wait one sec. One extra credit scene for the folks still watching. Look who took the trophy home with him, ladies and gentlemen. Look Did you steal the trophy? Look who took it home. Did you steal that from my house? Let's go. You Shout out to the, the Midas Mighty. Oh, no way. <laughs> did you buy that or did you steal it? No, I stole it. I took it from your house and brought it back with me because I won it. Fair and square. I can't believe you stole the trophy. <laughs> <laughs>